The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. And we're in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be down at verse 14 this morning. And uh, we uh, may or may not finish up today. I, we may, uh, it, and it'll be close, so I'm going to just play it by ear. Learning to drive, I want to thank y'all to think about that. When you learn to drive, maybe you have somebody that you're teaching to drive, uh, but learning can, to drive can be a little bit scary, and uh, especially for a parent that's maybe trying to teach their 15-year-old to drive, but sometimes we forget how hard it is for the new driver because we've driven so long, uh, and the new driver is suddenly introduced to a whole uh, new world that the rest of us take for granted, and uh, new drivers lack confidence a lot of times. Now, uh, probably some new drivers have too much confidence sometimes, but uh, for the confidence I'm talking about, you'll see in just a minute. Uh, I learned to drive in my dad's 1942 Willis Jeep. Wasn't that a 42? And I learned to drive not far from here, right down here below Mr. Swinson's place. And uh, I remember getting behind the wheel. I wasn't 15. I was a lot younger, and uh, I could drive all over that place. And I learned to drive that three-speed. And uh, uh, the, the thing about it, when I was driving there on the farm, there was just trees and ditches. There wasn't anything else to have to worry about. And I, I remember my first extended trip that I took by myself with a smoking hot girlfriend uh, her name was, uh, Denise, <laughs> uh, of course. Do you remember where we went on our trip that I got lost on? Went to Six Flags. That wasn't set up, <laughs> but that proves that I was lost. We drove to Six Flags, no problem, and, uh, got down there and we spent the day. Back then, Six Flags closed at midnight. So we had permission to be out past midnight. That was always, the curfew was always midnight for Denise. And then for me, I got to come home at 1230 because it took 30 minutes to get home. So uh, we had permission to go to Six Flags. Of course, we stayed till the very last second. We left there, and when you leave Six Flags at night, for most of you that's driven to Six Flags, it's just simple, isn't it? You just leave. That back parking lot, you can turn left or right. Go right around, hit I-30, and head to Cooper. Well, I didn't live in Cooper. I lived in McKinney. But uh, uh, at the time, we went the same way. We got on 30. We went over to Loop 12. We went around Loop 12 to 635 to 75 and could go straight home. Well, we left there, and, uh, and we get to driving. And I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I'm driving. And after a long time... I finally said, I'm lost. Now, she may not have knew that yet, but, but I was lost. And, uh, and I had really come to the point that I didn't even know what direction I was going. I mean, I was, uh, there wasn't GPS in cars, and there wasn't little things. I had a 76 Chevrolet pickup, three-speed on the column, and I'm driving, and uh, I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, we're way past when we should have been home at this point, so... I called her dad. I'm smart enough to know her dad, and I needed to call him. And uh, it was probably 1 o'clock or so in the morning by this point, and, and I said, Buddy, I'm lost. And he said, You're lost? And I said, Yeah. He said, Where are you at? 
I said, I'm lost. <laughs> and he said, well, uh, name some roads out that you see. And uh, I don't remember. I would think I was on 360 uh, going north. And uh, I said, well, I remember seeing this road. And I remember seeing that road. And he thought a minute. And he said, oh, I know exactly where you're at. I worked not too far from there. He worked in, in the Dallas, Arlington area. And, uh, of course, he gave me directions. And, you know, he said, you just need to go up and turn this way on this road, and it'll take you to this road. And through that little bit of conversation, uh, he straightened me out of how to head and get on the right road. But that was my first trip. Now, when I say uh, younger drivers... Uh, or, or lack confidence, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about confidence for the long haul. Uh, sometimes uh, maybe driving around the, the Cooper or Charleston area, they may have too much confidence or plenty of confidence, but when it comes to the, to the long haul, uh, sometimes it's a little confusing. And uh, In many ways, our spiritual journey and following Jesus is a lot like that. Uh, a lot of times, you see, the Bible, it, it pictures our spiritual life as a journey. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few months. And when we begin that journey as a new Christian, sometimes we lack confidence. Because we're not really sure of, of where we need to be and what we need to be doing. There's, there's uncertainty, there's doubtfulness, there's, there's kind of a, 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 a doubting of our ability to stay the course or stay the path. Age has nothing to do with that spiritual uh, journey. And, and in fact, a lot of times it's simply a lack of confidence that keeps unchurched friends away from the Christian faith, that lack of confidence. And, and some of our unchurched friends, they're confused because of all the different signs. And we talked about this last week. You have Jehovah Witnesses. You have Mormons. You have uh, seminary professors and college professors. And you have... New Age movements, and you have all of these people giving all of these false signs and all of this false doctrine, so sometimes it can become very confusing, and, and we can really lack confidence in our spiritual journey because we're really not sure where we're going. We just realize, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, and, and I don't even know what direction I'm going, and, and we begin to investigate some things, but when folks take time to investigate their spiritual journey, when they make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ, we can still lack some confidence on our journey. And what I've encouraged you to do over this whole study is not take my word and not take somebody else's word, but, but investigate for yourself what God's word has to say. Spend some time looking and reading and investigating and seeing what God's word has to say as you start and as you continue the spiritual journey. You know, a lot of times when, when Christians and new and old Christians, they come to a fork in the road, they come to a point of their spiritual journey and, and they're not exactly sure which direction to take. And, and, and we begin to ask and we kind of get paralyzed and it's kind of like those new drivers still learning to, uh, to go and still learning what direction to go and still building up confidence. For several years after I was lost, in Dallas, Arlington area, I still don't know exactly where I was. I really don't. To this day, I couldn't take you back to the point of where I said, this is where I was at. But, but for a few years after that, uh, I lacked confidence in my driving. Now, I, I could drive fine, but I'm talking about 
before I started off on another long trip, you know, I was already getting nervous about it. And matter of fact, most of the trips I took was, was with someone else. In other words, I was relying on somebody else to get me there and get me back home. And, and that uncertainty and that unsurety of myself, a lot of times it just kept me from going somewhere. It just kept me from, from being the place I needed to be. So if you're here today and spiritually you're kind of lost. Now, you may have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, so you're saved, but on your journey you're a little bit lost. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, so you're not on your spiritual journey. You're still kind of seeking and searching where God would have you to be. Whatever that is, if you're, if you're a born-again Christian, but you're a little bit lost, you're a little bit uncertain of where the future is and, and where your journey's taking you, I hope today that, that I can share some things with you that will give you confidence in that journey. If you would say you're here today and you're very comfortable and you're very confident then I hope today you'll take these things and you'll, you'll look and see if your, your uh, confidence is found in the right place. If, if on this journey you're really on the right place, we're going to finish up, as I said, recalculating our journey this morning. And we've already looked at finding joy in our journey and uh, seeking authenticity with our relationship with God. We've looked at our final destination and focusing on that. We've looked at getting our bearings on our, on our journey. We've looked at how we are to love one another and walk in confidence on our journey. And, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we come to a close is, is walking in confidence. In other words, today we're going to put into motion everything we've been studying. If you've been here through this or if you've not been here with one, with, uh, through this, then uh, it doesn't matter because these, these principles are going to apply wherever we are on our spiritual journey. So we're talking about walking with confidence, and the first thing we find here, and you're in 1 John chapter 5, look down to verse 14. If we're going to walk with confidence in our spiritual life, anyone here can probably say, well, I know one thing we need, and that's prayer. So if we're going to walk in confidence, we need to be developing a prayer-filled life. 1 John chapter 5, in, in verse 14 this is our confidence, and we're talking about walking in confidence, that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that when we have that, we've asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. And God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But as we look at those verses, John starts by identifying a confidence. A confidence that we as Christians need to have, we as Followers of Jesus Christ need to have this confidence. And let me tell you the, the meaning of that word confidence. You, you probably already know this, but it's a state of boldness and confidence in the face of intimidating circumstances. 
When John said that word in the Greek, that was what they would have heard, and that's what they would have understood, that we need to have a state of boldness even in the face of intimidating circumstances. This is the fourth time that John has used that word, and, and the, the root word of that rises from the word democracy, and it was in ancient Greece, and when they started that word confidence or democracy, it meant that every citizen had a freedom of speech and confidence to say what was on their mind. See, up to that point, they didn't understand that. So, so when John uses that word confidence, his hearers during that day would have said, okay, every Christian has a freedom of speech and a confidence to say what's on my mind to God. So that's what John's telling us. We as Christians, we need to have confidence, and this confidence belongs to the followers of Jesus Christ, that we can ask God for anything when we pray. Now, we, we can come to God uninhibited. We can come to God in, in full assurance. We can, we can come to God with freedom of speech. And it's a privilege that we have. I, I say this a lot of times because I know in my life, we, we sometimes fail in our privilege of prayer. I mean, we just don't spend enough time in prayer, I believe, for the most part as Christians. And John said if we want confidence in our walk, then we need to, we need to be spending some time with God in prayer. <coughs> and, and also, he wanted us to understand, sometimes we as Christians say, well, or even lost folks say, well, I need to get this right. It needs to be the right time, the right place, the right setting. When I get these things straightened out, and I think we as Christians even do this, when I get all of these things right, then I'm going to go to God with this. Folks, that's Satan confusing us, saying, hey, get on this wrong road, because if we're born-again Christian, it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter when it is, or how we find ourselves, we need to go to God in confidence. Because we can't get all those things straightened out on our own. So the first step is this, hey, I've lost my way. I may have got off on the wrong path. We don't need to lose our confidence. We need to say, I'm going to walk with God in confidence, and I can go to my Father anytime. It doesn't matter the time, the place, what's going on. I can call, most of us here, I know some of you can't say this, and I, I hate that for you, but most of us here can say, I could call my Father anytime, night or day. He's going to be there. He's going to help me out. And folks, so much more, God the Father, when we're born again, He has no restraints. He loves us unconditionally. And wherever we are on our journey, we can call to God with confidence. Now, John goes on. And here's where it gets something we need to really listen to what John is saying. There's a condition that we receive God's blessings. And it's this, he says, God's will... You know, when we come to God that we, we can pray and ask for anything, if you look in verse 14, according to His will, and He hears us. Now, what does will mean? Will here is, it can be translated two different ways. I want you to hear this. Don't say, well, He's, he's going to give us another meaning of some word. I already know what it means. I want you to listen to the two meanings here from Greek. It's, first, it can mean someone's inmost desire are the desire of someone's heart. So that word, the desire of the heart, or some, someone's inmost desire, or 
It can mean something that is planned or that's intended. Well, I think a lot of times when we think of God's will, we think of the latter. We think of something that's planned or intended. But if you really think about what John is saying, and you really think about the will of God, we need to understand that both of these meanings, they come together in God's will. In other words, God's will reflects His desires, doesn't it? God's will reflects His heart. And in His heart and in His desire, it comes to that second thing, it's something He intends for us. So when we go before God and we pray, God, your will be done. In other words, we're saying, God, I want the desires of your heart that you've intended for me to take place. That's what we're praying. We're praying in that fashion. The little boy, I'm going to have to keep drinking water this morning. I think Denise sucked all the oxygen out of the bedroom last night and I couldn't get any and my throat's all dry. <clears throat> The little, the little boy was praying there that night before he went to bed, and he, he, uh, he said, Lord, just uh, forgive me my sins, and Lord, forgive my brother of his sins, and Lord, forgive so-and-so of their sins. And then he prayed, and Lord, I need a new bicycle. And his mama said, well, son, God's not hard hearing. And he said, no, but Grandma is, and she's in the next room over there. <laughs> Folks, when we pray, we're not praying and saying, God, I know you're in the dark and you don't understand my needs, so I've got, to make, I've got to make sure that you understand this. God's not in the dark. God knows our needs. And John says he hears, and that word in the Bible here often describes a responsiveness. So John's saying God hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers. We're not trying to twist God's arm into give, giving us something we're asking for. See, if we're walking in confidence and we really believe what Scripture says, what does Scripture say? God says, I know my desires for you. Listen to this. To prosper and not to fail. That's God's desires for us. God says, I've come that you would have life. And what? That you would have it more abundantly. That's God's desire for us. What are we afraid of? We're afraid, God, if I sell out to you, I'm going to miss out on all of this. But that's exactly the opposite. God says, I know my plans for you to prosper. I know my plans for you that you'll be successful. I have plans for you that, that you would live an abundant life. And so often we bail out on God and we come before God and we try to twist His arms into saying, God, this is what I want, and this is where I want to be, and this is what I need to do. And, and God says, wait a minute, I have a desire of my heart that I want to pour out on you, and this desire of my heart is something I have planned for you. And when we learn to pray in that manner, when we learn to walk in that manner, as it says in Matthew that we pray, your will be done, God, in my life, then we begin to understand how we can walk in confidence through a prayer life. Now, there's a little part here I want to spend just a few minutes on. It's a part here that says, pray for those. Let me find it here. Verse 16. Well, there's 15. Anyone, yeah, if anyone we know, well, wait a minute. If he hears us, where we ask, we know. Okay, verse 16 it is. 
If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those sins... I refer to those sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. For all wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Well, boy, you can read that. That gets pretty confusing pretty quick, doesn't it? And I'll just tell you right up front, you can spend a lot of time studying that, and you're going to get some different ideals from different scholars. Let me give you some of the things that I found and some of the things that I believe are, are relevant to this passage. And we're not going to let this shake our desire to pray and our desire to be on a spiritual walk. In other words, if we leave this and you're a little bit confused, let it go. You know, it says in Corinthians, there's some things we're just not going to understand inside of heaven. There are some things we're not going to understand. It says when we're in heaven that they'll all be straightened out. This very possibly could be one of those things. But let me give you some pretty good ideals about that. It, it, it's not the ideal that some sins are unforgivable and some sins are forgivable. That's where the Roman Catholic Church gets their ideal of, of mortal sins and venal sins. In other words, some sins are not as bad and some sins are just you're just going to die from. That's, that's where they get that ideal. And that some sins can't be forgiven and other sins can be forgiven. Well, if that was the case, don't you think John... Or somebody in Scripture would have listed those unforgivable sins? I think they would have. I think we would understand what they are. And I'm going to talk about one that, that is listed. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But think about this. The Roman Catholics believe that when someone dies, they go to a holding place and, and they can pray them on up into heaven. In other words, if somebody's lost and they die, all you got to do is, is pay a penance. That's money. And pay your penance and pray and pay and pray and pay and pray. And one of these days, you will have paid enough and prayed enough that they can be moved on into heaven. Maybe that's what John's talking about here. He's talking about that sin that has led to a physical death. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we can read about some Christians who abused the Lord's Supper and they died from it. And, and I don't know if that's what John's talking about. Some people say... That's what they're talking about. Those who have died, and they don't even have to be lost. They could have been Christians. These folks uh, participating in the Lord's Supper, some of them may have been Christians and they died. John's saying, maybe we don't need to be praying for those folks because they're already gone. But pray for those whose sin did not lead to death. I think what John is talking about also here is those Christians who have failed in their walk with Christ. What do we tend to do? We tend to call up and say, hey, I saw Fred do this. You know, hey, let me tell you about what I saw. Let me, let me, this person claims to be a Christian. Let me tell you what I heard them say. John is telling us as Christians, when we see a brother commit a sin, verse 16, and it doesn't lead to death, we should pray that God brings him to life, that God would give him life. Now, I said I was going to talk a little bit about that unforgivable sin, that unpardonable sin. It says in Scripture there is one sin that God won't forgive. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? What does blasphemy against the Holy Spirit mean? If you are a Christian, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because what that means is, is blasphemy is giving Satan credit for something God has done. 
Now, this used to scare me because I used to think, boy, have I ever done that? Have I ever, have I ever said, you know, Satan did this and God really done it and have I ever blasphemed? Boy, I worried about that a long time until I realized what it's saying. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Let me explain it this way. If you're sitting in a church and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict you in your heart, if you're born again, you know what that convicting is. It's that time when you say, you know what, I, I may not can explain it, but I just now I realized I'm a sinner. And I realize that, that I'm lost. And I realize that I need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you. And you deny that Spirit. You deny that calling of God. And you deny that, that hey, I, I don't believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit of God is calling me. All of a sudden, you've denied what the Spirit of God is doing. And what are you doing? You're still lost. You've never accepted Christ. So when you stand before God after death or at judgment, He's going to look at us and say, you know what, you denied what Jesus Christ done on the cross. You've never accepted Jesus Christ. You've blasphemed the calling of the Spirit. So when we have, and, and you know what, that's not a one-time thing. The first time the Spirit of God called me, I didn't respond. I held on to the pew and I thought, man... I'm not going up there in front of all them people. I'm not going to do it. I, I, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm not sure what I'm sure to do. And you know what? God didn't say, that's it. I'm not going to forgive you. He gave me another chance. You know why the Bible says God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's patient with us. But folks, if we die never accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have committed to unpardonable sin. In other words, we're not going to go to a holding place and your friends and family pray you on into heaven because you've sinned against the Holy Spirit of God by denying the call of the Spirit. So don't worry about this. If you're a born-again Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ, don't go around wringing your hands and rubbing your head saying, oh, I hope I've never blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you can't commit that sin. That's good news for us, folks. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, and the Bible says in one place today, if you hear the voice of God, you need to respond because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. We've had some deaths in our community recently that, that's just shocked folks because one day we, we're talking, we're spending time, and the next day we get a phone call and say, well, so-and-so passed away today. We're not guaranteed anything. And when God's Spirit begins to move, we need to be careful about rejecting His Spirit. Because for many, today's the day of salvation. The more we reject God, the harder our hearts get, the harder it is to come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that sin is the sin that leads to death, that's, that's unpardonable and unforgiving. But that's not what John's talking about here, I don't believe. I want to remind you, and this is what I believe John is talking about. Remember John's whole letter is about Gnosticism. It's about the, the Gnostics that came in and denied Jesus Christ was the Savior. They denied that the resurrection was true. Remember they said Jesus was just born of a man and a woman and Christ came and Christ left and the mortal man, Jesus, died on the cross. He, didn't, he wasn't resurrected. What is that? That's blaspheme against the Spirit, isn't it? That's saying the Gnostics said, hey, Jesus Christ wasn't anybody. 
He he was just another man. He was just another person. And I believe that's what John is teaching this church in this setting, in this time frame. And I believe as they have read this whole letter, they get to that point of realizing, hey, there's a sin, blasphemy, that leads to death. And I believe that's what John's explaining to us. So when we think about this, like I said at the beginning, the exact meaning, maybe we don't know. Maybe we've covered it. You're going to say, well, boy, he just left me hanging on that. No, I'm not. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Do some study. Do some prayer. Do, do some looking at and reading and say, you know what? I really want to get a grasp of understanding. And you're going to read a lot of what I just said. So, so let's don't get hung up on this. Let's think about a prayer-filled life that constantly comes before God. Bringing our needs to God and bringing others' needs to God. When we see someone stumble, when we see someone fall, when we see someone that commits a sin, lift them up in prayer. Spend some time praying for that person. That's the ability to to pray with confidence, to pray with boldness, to pray pray with freedom that comes from a faith in Jesus Christ in our walk. You know, when we first come to know Christ, just like when we first got our license, we may not pray with confidence. In other words, we may be able to say the Lord's Prayer. You may have learned that in a football room locker. We may be able to say the, the serenity prayer. You know, that's the one that uh, helped me accept the things I can't change and change the things I can. Whatever. We may have memorized that. We may have memorized that. Thank you for the earth so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray what? The Lord a soul to take. You know, we learn all those little prayers. But, but we're young in Christ. And we may not have the, 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 the time to pray in confidence, but folks, as we grow in Christ, as we grow in our understanding of Christ, then our confidence in our prayer life should grow too. And we should include that in a daily life. If we really, truly want to walk with confidence, then we need to have a vibrant, living, strong prayer life. Would you bow with me this morning? We're going to finish this up next week, I promise you. But I don't want to move forward today without just stopping right here and just just thinking about our relationship with the Lord. Praying with confidence. I'll confess to you folks, my my problem may not be praying with confidence. Too often my, prayer, my problem is praying at all. You know, God's Word encourages us to pray without ceasing. And folks as Christians, if, we, if sometimes we lack confidence in our spiritual life, we lack confidence in the future, and I'm not talking about, when I say spiritual life, I'm talking about everything we have. I'm talking about our our relationships at home. I'm talking about our relationships at work. I'm talking about our relationship with friends. I'm talking about our relationships with families. I'm talking about everything we do in a daily life. If we want to walk in confidence in those things, it's going to have to start with prayer. We have prayer time every Sunday. I think that's one of the greatest times of our service. We spend... Wednesday nights, we spend the, most of the night just in some time of prayer, some, some discussing needs, personal needs. 
that's petitions and intercessory prayer, prayer for others. I believe that's the strength of a church, the, the, the prayer life of the church. If you're a little bit off on the wrong road, you, you, you've accepted Christ and you made it to Six Flags, but man, something happened and you look up and I'm, I'm, I think I may be on the wrong road even. Don't just keep going. Build up some confidence through prayer that God's will would be done. Listen, that the desire of God's heart would take place in what he has planned for you. Boy, that is great. If we can live our life knowing and believing that God has a plan for me, his plan for me to prosper, his plan for me is not to have fear. His plan for me is to have life and have it abundant. His plan for me is to have his joy, and in him my joy may be complete. That's God's plan for us. Am I saying we won't have bumps and bruises and thorns and thistles along the way? No, we're going to have them. But God said, I have a bigger plan. Get through those tough times, and I have a bigger plan for you. That, that confidence in life, that confidence in our spiritual walk begins in prayer. Father, I pray this morning as we have an opportunity to reflect, as we have an opportunity to really think about where we are in you, Father, I ask that you'd forgive me for my lack of prayer in my spiritual life, Father. Lord, I pray that each of us today, not through what I would say or what we would feel uh, guilty about or anything, but Lord, I pray through the direction of your Holy Spirit today, we might commit to prayer. Father, whatever step that needs to be, if it's once a week to begin with, if it's uh, once a day, if it's once an hour, uh, if it's once a month, wherever it can begin, I pray, Lord, that we would make a commitment today to walk confidently in our prayer life. Not after we get everything straightened out and everything going right. Not after we realize where we're at, but exactly where we are today. That we would know we have freedom of speech to come before the Father and make our request known. Even if the request about, I'm not sure, or I'm scared, I, I, I don't understand, whatever it would be, God says, I want you to bring it to me. Father, I pray as we have an opportunity now to respond to your word, to respond to your calling, I pray, Lord, that we would allow the Spirit to move within our heart and we to be about your business. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you if you would just right now during this time, would you spend this time in prayer? I've said this many times. Maybe it's been a, uh, five minutes since you prayed. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe you've never prayed. Right now, would you spend some time with the Father? There's no special words. There's no magic. Just, just, just saying, God, here I am. And allow God to begin to speak to you through his spirit. I want to ask you to stand. If you'd like to come to the altar and pray, it's open. If you'd like to 
come and let me pray with you. I'll be here. If, if you want to just go get somebody and say, you know what, would you just come pray with me? I promise you there's not a Christian in this church that wouldn't love to come and pray with you at this altar. What I want you to do is just be submissive to God's will and to God's Spirit.